We are getting into football mode here on the podcast. We're going to the college football gridiron today. I'm joined by a great fan of the podcast, Bill Banner, the Sporting News. We're going to preview the college football season, get his take on the latest round of realignment. I have thoughts about that. I'll get to in a minute. That's coming up here in just a bit. Also, here are our weekly Hard Knocks coverage. Week two of Hard Knocks coming up here. We're joined by uh, pop culture correspondent Sandra Rose. We broke down the premiere of the Lions episode last year. This year, week two of the Jet Hard Knocks. We're going to cover that in just a bit. If you like it here on the Justin Suffering Podcast, feel free to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platforms. My episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and starring as well. And with the podcast, even better going forward. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video version of the conversations with Bill Bender and Sam are up on YouTube. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. I'll give you my thoughts on the Latest round of college football realignment that basically has brought the death knell to the Pac-12. That's coming up here right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. Opening tip time, talking college football, and admittedly, we thought we were done with realignment. At least I was, stupid me, in college football last year after the USC-UCLA shocking move to the Big Ten. But one thing we've learned, and one thing I should remember here, money always talks to situations. What we've seen over the past few weeks is the likely demise of a power conference. That's something unprecedented. Very sad for college sports in general here. The first real warning shot to the Pac-12 after USC-UCLA came a weeks ago in Colorado, now being coached by Deion Sanders in football, decided to go back to the Big 12. Remember, they kicked off a big round realignment, I think, maybe a, decade, a couple of decades ago, a decade and a half ago, when they left from the Big 12 to the Pac-12. Now they went back. The leaks started coming apart of the scenes after that. Oregon and Washington ended up going to the Big 10 for a reduced rate. They joined USC and UCLA there. Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, just seek, seek, seeking safe harbor. They end up with Colorado in the Big 12 here. So a lot of movement here out of the Pac-12, which it made its own disastrous bed by not being ahead of time in expansion. There was a point they almost had Oklahoma and Texas in the fold. They bailed on that. Pac-12, one of the oldest leagues in the country, dubbed the Conference of Champions. Now down to just four schools, Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford. There's been some rumors that Cal, Cal and Stanford might go to the ACC, which, think again. Think for a second how absurd this is. The Atlantic Coast Conference is going to add Stanford and California. That's on the table. That's how nuts this is. The Pac-4 converged the Mountain West schools. The American might grab, try and grab them here. For all intents and purposes, that Pac-12 is dead, and it's very sad. It shows the football drives the bus on all college sports. Stanford, which wins almost every other sport other than football, most prestigious academic schools in the country here, in the, I believe they have an award for best success in all Olympic sports. 
29 times the hand. Now Stanford's on 26. They don't have a league right now. They're out of the Big Ten because their football is not good. Cal, similar academics to Stanford, not as good Olympic sports, but still pretty good. Same reason. Football drives everything. These moves also currently set us up here. 16-team Big 12. A 16-team SEC once Texas and Oklahoma join it. An 18-team Big 10. 14-team ACC plus Notre Dame. So we are getting ever closer to that four super conference model we've been talking about for years. Geography is a joke for this, especially for those those non-revenue sports. Think about it. Now you're going to see Oregon flying to Rutgers for a volleyball game. Arizona, UCF for a baseball series. I mean, come on. That makes no sense. The thing that really separates college sports, particularly football, from the pros was the regionality and the rivalries. These rivalries are getting ripped apart for TV dollars. You're not going to guarantee that the Apple Cup is going to be played every year. The Civil War is going to be played every year in Oregon, Oregon State. Sure, they may say that they want to do these things. Remember, Kansas, Missouri said, oh, we'll continue that rivalry once we once we split the big from the Big 12 and the SEC. That hasn't really happened. We basically reached the point where we're at four mega conferences. Everyone else gets left behind. We're at a point almost feel like, when does football just say, you know what, like, let's do our own thing. We're going to break away from the NCAA. We're going to be just college football. And then all the other sports can go back to more regional bases that make more sense for the non-revenue sports, for basketball, so on and so forth. Makes a lot more sense what we're dealing now. You want to run college football like a minor league? You let TV drive the bus. It kills the regional rivalries even more than they are. College football as we knew it growing up, that's dead. TV killed it. We're going to talk more about the realignment and what this upcoming season could hold in store for us with Bill Bender from the Sporting News right after this. Call from last year's college football playoff semifinal, Georgia, Ohio State, courtesy of ESPN's Chris Fowler. In the final minute, Bennett from the pocket, launches to the end zone, caught, touchdown, A.D. Mitchell. All right, we are back here getting ready for the college football season coming up here in a couple of weeks. Join me today, great friend of the podcast, Doing what's called an annual college football preview here on the podcast. Bill Benner from the Sporting News is back. Bill, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. What year are we on? This, I feel like this is four. I think it's Three? I think it's four. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to say. When I'm talking to you, I know that that means we're probably a week or two away from actual games. But uh, obviously, I don't know how good I'm going to do on games because all I've been writing about is everything that's off the field this summer. So uh, I'll let you have at it. Yeah, fortunately, got to start there here because I thought we were done last year. We were talking about USC and UCLA going over the Pac-12, and then the whole league blew up over the last, like, month or so. So, like, what's your general take on this latest round of realign where we now have the we have the 18-team Big 10 and the 16-team Big 12? Oh, it was mind-bending that Friday afternoon after about a week after Colorado, obviously Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, go to the Pac-12, Oregon and Washington, give – the Big Ten, the four biggest brands on the West Coast in terms of football and viewership and general interest, I think. So it's going to create a really weird last year of the Pac-12. I don't know what's next for those four schools. I mean, do you merge with the Mountain West or the American Athletic Conference? It seems a little beneath Stanford. I think I'm sad on some level because the traditional college football that I grew up with and I know you grew up with, um, 
is gone. I mean, it's about money and TV now. There's no, and they're not disguising it anymore, right? It, it's pretty apparent. Oh, it's very apparent. It's all about TV right now. I mean, the fact that like poor Stanford, which I think like I read the name of the award is like they are the best like Olympic sports uh, school in the in the uh, whole country here. It went twenty six, twenty nine times this trophy. They, they're net left out in the cold because the football team is not as good. Yeah, it, you know, the Capital One Cup. I know we do the standings over there at Sporting News every year, and they're always, like you said, in the mix with such a vast athletic program, swimming and diving and baseball and everything else that they do, softball, uh, women's basketball. And I, I'm just stunned. I mean, as I kind of spelled out too, I mean, the last 15 years, it's not like their football team has been bad. They, they've had that run of Andrew Luck and McCaffrey and college football playoff contenders. Now the last few years, not so much. But um, last 15 years, they have a better record on the field than Michigan. And they may have to be forced to go independent. And that's one move they could possibly do is go independent, let all those programs do their thing and still be very successful and maybe market themselves to the Big Ten or, or the ACC. And it was very close with the ACC. Yeah, the ACC thing was very weird. I did see this where it sounded like they and Cal and possibly SMU were going to be in the mix there, and then it sounds like they had four holdouts in the ACC vote that's kept this from happening here. I mean, like, there are not a lot of great options of those four schools that are left here. Like you said, the Mountain West is the most geographic sense, but then you're asking those four schools basically drop to mid-major level. The AAC makes even less sense. Like, I feel like these, a lot of these, these guys got screwed so hard by this. Yeah, and, and Cal did too on some level. And some and a lot of it was, like you said, based on TV. And TV, uh, as we sketched out at Sporting News as well, you know, there were 39 games last year, conference games, that drew a 2.0 Nielsen rating or better. And only two of those games were Pac-12 games. It was USC and UCLA when Caleb Williams, I think we were all watching Caleb Williams that night, <laughs> um, and uh, – Washington, Oregon, that was an awesome game. I, I do remember watching that one and the back-and-forth nature of that game. But people in general, we can make up lies all we want, but I just don't think there were enough eyeballs on the Pac-12 and there weren't enough eyeballs on Stanford and Cal for the TV networks and the Big Ten to take them on, which is a bit of surprise because we know how much the Big Ten loves the academic schools. and It doesn't get much better than Stanford, Cal, Bay Area market when it turns into – academic schools. Yeah, it just tells to tell you that the Big Ten really didn't drive that decision. It was all the TV networks. The TV, as you said, like had no interest in Cal and Stanford for numbers here. And it just makes you wonder because we're at a point here where, like, the football league is so extreme now. We have, like, the Pac-12, I mean, the Big Ten spanning from California, New Jersey. We have the Big 12 in all four time zones. Like, is there a point you think we're getting too soon? I think we're almost there where football just breaks away from everything else and says we're going to be our own entity and everything else is just goes back to more regionalized? It's heading that direction. I mean, the, the biggest thing for the Big Ten and, and to some extent the Big 12 is the Big Ten is now noon to 2 in the morning. Yeah. Big Ten programming. 15 hours, you know, when you think about how late those games get over, 14 hours, 15 hours of Big Ten content in your face on Saturday. Um, and that's huge for them. Big 12, same deal. SEC doesn't have that yet, but it's not like – I think they're fine with their region. I mean, one of the big reasons I thought the Big Ten would not add Florida State and Clemson is why go fight a losing battle in that part of the country where the interest will be in the SEC and the ACC. And then you have this, like, satellite program in the Big Ten of Florida State. That doesn't make any sense. So, But they, they that was the big win for the conference. 
and the Big 12, quite honestly. The survival tactics that Brett Yormark used to get them the same thing. I mean, you will have Big 12 football on all day, and that's a good source of alternative programming. Yeah, that's for sure. It's also crazy to think about because I remember there was a point, I think maybe a decade ago, where the Pac-12 almost pulled Oklahoma and Texas in, and that would have basically started the death knell of the Big 12. Now I flipped the other way with all the with four schools dipping back to the Big 12, including Colorado returning. Yeah, and it really is impressive that they were able to survive, and and at the Pac-12 defense, quite frankly, that you know a couple of years ago when we talked about Texas and Oklahoma leaving, I would probably, I mean, if you have the files, I probably came on your podcast and said it's a matter of time before the Big 12 dies. Well, yeah. Brett Yormark, with the additions he made, the four time zone thing you mentioned, being aggressive, not waiting for things to happen. Um, you know, today or Wednesday, I saw that they were going to not entertain Gonzaga and UConn, which now it makes sense because they got their four corner schools. But one of the big wins for the Big 12, Mike, is that they have the best basketball conference in the country now. I don't think it's a debate. At least they had a debate for years, and it got stronger, too, because they picked up Houston this year and Arizona next year. Right, and that's what I'm saying. You're right. They were already number one, and now you add the possibility of a Tuesday night game between Kansas at Arizona or Houston at I mean, even like BYU and Utah, those are solid basketball schools with decent tradition. So it, it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a lot of, uh, like I said, alternative programming. And I think they know where they're at in terms of the Big 12 is not going to draw more eyeballs than the SEC or the Big 10, but they're still going to draw enough eyeballs for that conference to survive when we go to 12 teams. Yeah, that's for sure here. I also do feel bad for all the non, like, uh, the Olympic sports who are going to have to deal with, you know, like Oregon flying across the country to play volleyball at Rutgers. That's the, that makes no sense. You know, and I, and you did see, and you have to take into account, I mean, student athlete welfare. I, one of the things at first when you saw it, you saw some softball athletes tweeting, you know, our families want to see us play and it's going to affect my mental health. And they're right because, I'm thinking about it myself. I have two kids, and they, when they play their games, and this is just at youth sport level, I hate missing them. So I couldn't imagine being the parent of a UCLA softball player and having to travel to Rutgers or having to go to Minnesota for a softball game. I don't know that. Like, and I don't blame them at all for voicing those concerns. Yeah, the Ivies themselves, it's not football where they're going to charter flights across the country. A lot of these guys are flying regional or flying commercial, like – and it's going to take them out of school. So I think I do wonder if this breakaway thing does end up happening at some point, just to make it easier for everybody. Well, Chip Kelly had the 64 team idea that made the rounds last week. And he's right too. I mean, you know, a lot of college football is tied up in those traditions. I was talking about the, the rivalry, the bragging rights, those kind of things. Well, that's going away. If we're not going to play games like SMU, TCU and, and Oklahoma and Oklahoma state, why not just go to that model and have like an NFL times two with 64 teams? And I, I guess the downside is it's not inclusive. But right now, the current model is not inclusive either when really the only teams that can entertain winning the national championship, I, I, I think I've done this joke with you. I mean, you, you can find them on one hand. Yeah, I think it's the same way this year here. And Georgia's definitely on that hand. And obviously they've won back-to-back here. I know the season number one in the polls again here. What are their shot? Does he shot? Do you think they have a three peat? I mean, it's not easy. 
And I, I we can't take it for granted, even though if I was betting on somebody, I would bet on him. I think their roster, very talented, obviously. A lot of four- and five-star talents. Carson Beck, you plug him in. They're better at receiver around Lad McConkey. They, they got a couple transfers in there, along with Brock Bowers. They, they're better, you know, the depth is insane. So I just don't know who can entertain beating them, especially on their schedule. I mean, their schedule doesn't get serious until November, where provided they beat South Carolina and Florida earlier, they'll be 9-0 and when they play Ole Miss and Tennessee. Those are the only two ranked teams on their schedule. So it's hard for me to believe that Georgia won't be anything but 12-0 and and get back to Atlanta and, and probably have Alabama staring at them in a, what could be a one-of-two situation. Yeah, that's for sure. You mentioned Alabama here. Obviously, they're, they're always a threat to Georgia. Who else in the conference think could pose a threat to them? Obviously, you mentioned the schedule. They don't have a lot of big games, but anybody else in the other half of the league you feel like could be a threat to them? I mean, Tennessee. Tennessee, was, if Joe Milton is, you know, lives up to billing. I mean, Georgia was the only team that kind of punked Tennessee on the field last year. Made them look ordinary. Made that offense look ordinary. Does Joe Milton change that? We'll see. Um obviously LSU. They got to Atlanta last year. They built some talent. They're going to be good up front. But, I mean, you got to believe is that Jaden Daniels the guy that can um, lead them. I mean, he's probably the best returning SEC quarterback. But those are the two that, uh, other than Alabama, and Alabama, I think, is almost a little underrated. Not being talked about enough, believe it or not, that we're going into a college football season where the Alabama Crimson Tide might be one of the more underrated top five teams Probably the least talked about team in the top five. You know, I mean, they didn't certainly didn't mean make the SC championship game last year, let alone the playoff. I could see why people were sleeping on them a little bit. Yeah, well, and it's the quarterback situation. When you look at that program and their last four starting quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts, Tua, Mac Jones, Bryce Young, they're all starting on Sunday right now. I mean, that's a nod to how good they are, and also a question mark with Jalen Monroe or Jalen Milrow. Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson. So, how, how, which one of those guys steps up, takes hold of that position? I, I was quick to remind people, though, how Nick Saban's won four national titles with guys named Greg McElroy and AJ McCarron and uh, Jacob Coker. It's not always about the quarterback. Yeah, certainly true here. And we'll go to the Big Ten here, obviously. They got two teams in the playoffs last year. Michigan and Ohio State both lost the first game. They're both the fav- both up at the top of the polls again here. If you had to put your chip on one to win the conference, who would it be? Uh, I would probably just flip the, the chip and, and, pay, and say, okay, that's the team. It, it literally is a coin flip now. Ohio State's super talented again. I know Marvin Harrison, arguably the best player in the country. Uh, offense is going to score a ton. Obviously, they got to answer that, that defense has got to cut down the big plays. But in that rivalry, sometimes it's best to be that school really loaded and, and nobody thinks they're going to beat Michigan because Michigan's a preseason favorite. And they're loaded too. They've got an awesome offensive line. They've got Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards. Jim Harbaugh couldn't say enough good things about J.J. McCarthy at Big Ten Media Day. And their defense is stacked. So I think it adds up to the same old story, Mike. They will have Michigan 11-0, and Ohio State 11-0. and They'll be a winner. The loser might have a chance to get in and it could be an instant repeat of last year. Yeah, that was certainly a lot of fun here. In terms of the rest of the conference, anybody else you, you could think of here that might have a shot at sneaking in the playoff here? They could pull off a win over one of these guys. You mean in the whole country? The or big just ten, the Big, big ten. ten? Big Ten. I mean, Penn State. Penn State's got a lot of excitement around their roster, and, and they should. 
uh, Drew Aller, Nick Singleton on that offense, a difference maker at every level of their defense. Guys like um, Kalen King, Chop Robinson, these guys are going to, they got a lot of Sunday players too. They just got to go out and beat Ohio State, Michigan. That's what they haven't been able to do consistently. I mean, James Franklin is, they're going to hear that 4 and 14 stat all September into October until they play the Buckeyes. Um, I think Wisconsin will be better than expected. If the changes that Luke Fickle are gonna, is going to make take quick with Phil Longo. But I think their schedule is pretty soft early. I mean, I think Wisconsin will be in Indianapolis as the Big Ten most champion. But I don't know if they're ready to entertain beating Ohio State or Michigan yet. Yeah, that's for sure. You'll see about them here. In terms of the uh, Pac-12, this is the last hurrah for the league here. Obviously, they have a prime Heisman candidate in Caleb Williams out of USC here. Do you think this league has a finds a way to get a team in the playoff and its real last like stance? Oh, I mean, USC could. Uh, Washington could. They're going to have good football. That's the sad part about the conference imploding is that it has the best collection of quarterbacks in the country. It has, you know, top 10 teams like Washington and USC and Oregon and even Oregon State as kind of a sleeper. Utah, if, if Cam Rising is healthy, that's another one. So, so then I, I think USC, the offense will be playoff caliber again. I think Caleb Williams will be fantastic again. And then I, you know, the same old questions about the defense. So we'll see how the defense does, but um, defense can make a couple stops. Yeah, USC could win the Pac-12 and get back in the playoffs. Yeah, and obviously the Big 12, they're getting their reinforces next year in terms of schools. Uh, Deion Sanders and Colorado in there, some other fun ones coming in here. Who who in the Big 12 is the favorite right there right now? I mean, it's Texas, and we've done this song and dance before. Um and I've been burned by it before, but I kind of believe in their talent this year. I think Quinn Ewers, if he stays healthy, I mean, this is a team that showed that that talent can match up with Alabama for four quarters. And they've got to start winning one-score games. That's the big thing. They're 4-10 and ten in one-score games under Steve Sarkeesian the last two years. It's been a trend that's haunted them for a decade, really. Um, so we'll, we'll see. But I like Texas. I do like Kansas State. I think Oklahoma will bounce back. TCU will be in the mix. Even Kansas with Jalen Daniels could be an excellent sleeper in that conference. Yeah, and though the ACC, the last of the power leagues, and I feel like they've kind of fallen off the map a bit since Trevor Lawrence left left Clemson here. And, like, I know Bay and Florida State are at the top of the polls. Do you buy either of them as a real threat to get to the playoff? I, I mean, Florida State will find out right away. You know, they play LSU early. They play Clemson in week four. They've got a really loaded offense with Jordan Travis, the receivers, Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, averaged 20 yards a catch last year. Jared Burst will be a top five pick. That talent's back in Tallahassee, and they were rolling at the end of last year. So can they – and can they beat Clemson at Clemson on September 30th? Um, man, that's tough. They have both of those teams in the first four weeks. So we'll see. I think Clemson – Cade Klubnick, uh, five-star quarterback, might get them going. I actually think like a little bit like Alabama, Clemson's a little undervalued right now. Their defense is pretty good, and they've got NFL guys on that defense like Jeremiah Trotter Jr., good secondary. They didn't give up a lot of points last year. So, like that late-season collapse for them, I think they're going to be fine. Yeah, I think I think we're interesting to see that too. In terms of sleeper teams to watch, guys, we had this conversation a year ago. I think either of us had TCU in the mix of the playoff, and that ended up going to the national championship game, losing to Georgia. Here, do you have a sleeper team you feel like could crash the party if everything goes well for them? 
I mean, Washington's about the best I can do. I mean, I don't think a lot of people think Washington could get back to the playoffs, but Michael Penix is really good. They have two 1,000-yard receivers coming back. The defense had bet both edge rushers uh, returned to school, and they probably could have left for the NFL. And when you have that level of buy-in around Kalen DeBoer, there's a little you know, all-in feel to it. They, they do play USC. That'll be a fun game. Uh, so they're one. I mean, if you want to go deeper than that, I think Texas A&M is in for a bounce-back year with the talent that they have. I don't know if Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher will work out, but a lot of people are going to be paying attention to whether it does or not. And with Connor Wigman, Evan Stewart, Ruben Owens, they've got some playmakers. So I think the Aggies could surprise. I don't know that they could beat Alabama. I know they can hang with them, and I know they can beat LSU, which is exactly what they did last year. Yeah, so that'll be fun to keep an eye on those teams here. And obviously, Heisman watch, last thing I want to touch on here is obviously Caleb Williams here is the front runner here. Like, who else are you watching in the Heisman race? Well, I mean, Caleb Williams, obviously. And then, you know, after him, that that crop of Jordan Travis and Drake May and Michael Penix, Bo Nix. I mean, it's a quarterback award. We all know that. Uh, outside of a quarterback, you know, Marvin Harrison mentioned him earlier. He, he's a freak. If he has a monster season, he could be the second receiver in the last four years to do it, joining Devontae Smith. Um, you know, Blake Corum will have a chance. There, There's a lot of good quarterbacks. There's always one that pops up, though. Like, Drake May was that guy last year. Um, th- there's going to be guys that have all these transfers, depending on how it works, that could really pop up and be one of those guys. Uh, Kyle McCord, even at Ohio State, you look at the last three Ohio State quarterbacks were Heisman finalists. Why not Kyle? Yeah, certainly a fun year to watch for sure here. And, Bill, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. People want to follow you on social media, keep up with your college football coverage. How can they do that? Yeah, I'm at BillBender92 at SportingNews.com, and we're just plugging away at it, getting ready for the season. It should be a lot of fun. I know you and I should catch up again here during the season. Yeah, we'll definitely try and make that happen, Bill. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, no problem. We are back here week two of Hard Knocks covers on the podcast. We're covering week, every week of the Jets edition on Hard Knocks on the podcast. I did it by myself last week. With me today, though, to cover week two of the Jets Hard Knocks experience, our pop culture correspondent, Sam Rose, is here. Sam, how are you? So good. So excited for football season. Yeah, very excited here. And we came on last year. We talked about the premiere of the Lions at uh, Hard Knocks. We did the Eight Hudson Billie Jean experience, Dan Campbell, all the fun stuff here. So how'd you feel about the... Uh, the first, the, the first two episodes of uh, the Jets Hard Knocks. Um, surprisingly, I enjoyed them. Uh, as somebody who isn't a Jets fan, uh, I actually am really rooting for this team. I might have said that last year about the Lions, but I truly mean about the Jets this year. <laughs> yeah, the Jets have a lot of fun personalities. I know that they embraced being on. They not want to be on the show initially. I feel like they've embraced it since they got picked, and they've been having more fun with it. Yeah, I uh, love all the different personalities. Uh, Low-key love, gotta just come out with it. 
say I love sauce. Yeah. Um, I'm not gonna lie, that's also my nickname with a lot of my friends. So I have like some solidarity with Sauce Gardner. Yeah, you're lacking the giant, the blinged out sauce chain. Yeah, I know. I was like, I love this guy. He's so cool. Yeah, they have a lot of fun personalities here on this episode. So we're going to go through the highlights of the episode here. And I have to ask, before we start here, had you ever heard of Oz Perlman the Mentalist before this before this uh, show? I have not. I have, though, met a, like, mentalist magician guy before. And let me tell you, I don't know how they kept such a straight face because when he came up to me, and I know this is terrible, I don't remember his name or who he was, but I was just like, bl- I was blown away and I hate love magicians. And, but that was, it's so cool, but I hate it because I don't know how they do it. So I have a love hate relationship with like the magician mentalist kind of deal. Yeah. So I had stumbled upon him, I think once before in my life. Cause like I, once in a while, like when I'm doing work on Sunday morning, I'll have the Sunday NFL countdown on for ESPN. And like, he's been on there a few times and he does this sort of similar thing where he like does the mentalist acts where he like has them like, guess things and like he guesses their thoughts and they're all stuns and like i saw him come on the show i'm like this is gonna be so fun and then seeing oz pull off like i think what was the best one the michael carter guessing his number the puzzle with mccall hartman with the super bowl prediction or aaron Rodgers with the goldfish it's aaron Rodgers with the goldfish just because uh what's his name was like what if you guess a giraffe like that <laughs> killed me i thought that was so funny yeah I love like how like the look that Michael Carter gives uh, Oz when he sees that he got the number right is so funny as well. No, that was great. I mean, like the reactions from the mentalist, I feel like are as on par as his like weird mentalist tricks. Yeah, I was so happy they got to went to Rogers and that because you know Rogers is a kooky guy. He has his own beliefs on things. He could see the look on his face like this guy is full of shit. Like I, yeah. I I'm not falling for this garbage. And then he sees the trick pull off. He's like. Wait, what? See, like, don't you, like, get so angry that you don't know how they do it? Is yeah. that just me? Now I'm just, like, amazed. I think I feel like I'm sort of that lineman in the back who's, like, in the black stretcher just jumping up and down, like, reacting to everything. I'm just, like, oh, I'd just be, like, I mean, I laugh. I would be smiling the entire time. I'd probably be the easiest person to read in yeah. the room. Yeah, well, this guy is very talented what he does. I wish, like, I don't, I don't know how he hasn't gotten a TV show yet, but he should. Yeah, or he's making himself like, you know. That's true. So we'll keep an eye. I don't think we're going to see Oz again, but we fun if he shows up somewhere else in the, in the season. Yeah, he'll pop up randomly in our – he could be in our uh, recap of 2023. Yeah, we can talk about, about, about Oz Perlman. Yeah, well, maybe he'll pop up somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll talk about somewhere else here. So he can go somewhere else here. We got a little bit of Quentin Williams here. We talk about he got his new contract here. You see him just dominate practice and then – Jeff, like the old work intensive coordinator, is like, you screwed up, dog, because that was, you were perfect every single snap. And like, seeing what Quentin Williams like does on the field, like, it was cool seeing the little spotlight. Yeah. Um, not going to lie, again, not a Jets fan. So I'm not super in the know of all the Jets, you know, players, but this guy's great. Yeah. He's an awesome dude. And I'm like really rooting for him this season. And he's just, he's so funny. Like, his little remarks during the entire like episode had me laughing the entire time yeah like during the joint practice he was hanging out with rogers like yeah like we just destroyed those guys it's great like yeah when he was like i had 10 sacks 10 yeah. sacks yeah yeah last year he was a first time all first team all pro made the pro bowl and just signed a contract with the jets four years extension worth 96 million dollars 66 guaranteed 
and also like this man he's like a big dude and yeah. he moves like so easily yeah. it's so crazy it's awesome yeah it was also cool seeing how uh robert sal and woody lee johnson talk about the kind of extension Woody's like that's a lot of money and we, we, we gave him and sal's like you want to feel good about the people you're giving it to and this guy's not going to take it for granted so that will be nice yeah, I liked what he said. He was like, you could be a bad rich a bad rich guy or a good rich guy. And I feel like this is a lot about his character. Like, you know he's a good guy. Yeah, that's for sure here. And obviously we have to talk about Aaron Rodgers because last week he was the star of the show. This week is more of a secondary character, but he was still at his moments here. So what did Aaron Rodgers thing like got your attention most? Was it him picking up the grass to, to uh, take the wind direction? Him talking to the centers about the snaps? Him in the quarterback meetings going over the play actions at Zach Wilson or some of his banter during the preseason game. I liked his banter probably the best, especially yeah. with the reps when it, they were like four plays behind. And he's like, Oh, like who did that? The left side, the right side. He's like, okay, give me a name. And he's giving the ref such a hard time. Um, and the, he was giving the Carolina coach a hard time as well, which was pretty funny. I mean, like I know uh, all athletes, I feel like, and I, don't even care if this is quoted to me. All athletes are weird. They all play a sport for a living. That's all they know. So they're all weird people. But it's so funny to see how weird Aaron Rodgers is in real life. Yeah, the play you mentioned here, like, I thought it was great because I was driving home from Met game on Saturday. I listened to it in the car. I didn't see the actual play until the episode. So they talk about this play, which is a dead ball play on neutral zone infraction. Aaron Rodgers famously loves those. He loves to take shots down the field. Refs blow a dead, and then on the radio, they were talking about, like, why did they stop the play? And then we see the entire Jet team. He's like, why did they stop the play? Like, that was cool. Yeah, I was like, let him play. It was just so funny. I I think it's funny with him on, with, on headset. Yeah. I would love to hear just, like, unedited Aaron Rodgers' headset banter. Yeah, plus, like, when he was, like, goofing around with uh, with uh, Ron Mills and the tight end coach, who was a character in his own right, about how the rookie tight end Zach Kuhn scored a touchdown running the wrong route. That was I was laughing so hard. He kept bringing it up, like run the wrong route, score, run around, run around, run the wrong route, score. Yeah, I mean, hey, congratulations to your first major uh, touchdown. But I just think it's funny. I like that he's just like, even though you do good, like you didn't follow the play. I like that he still calls you on yeah. your shit. Yeah, for sure. Here, let's also go to uh, one of the other stars of the episode, uh, defensive end Will McDonald. I mean. I knew we were going to get a lot of him when we spent the first like part of the episode with him getting piercings. That was a interesting choice to follow him there. I don't, I mean, like, did you not get Dennis Rodman vibes from him? A little bit. I don't know. I like this guy. And he was like saying like, you know, you only get one life. Like, don't be scared of life and stuff. I was like, this guy really is like, I don't know. I got good vibes. Like, I, I know that sounds weird, but I was just like, I really like this guy. He's like beats to the, you know, his own drum kind of deal. Yeah. So like, did like did you need to see like the eyebrow getting pierced on TV though? I I don't know. That stuff doesn't gross me out. I feel like, you know, because he was like low key scared about everything, like, cause it scared him and him being like letting them see that. I guess it says something we didn't need to see it, but you know, I don't know. I feel like there was like a little story in there. Yeah, there certainly was here. And I also like the fact that we circle back to him because he has a good run in the joint practice and he ha has a sack in the preseason game and Robert Sala is so happy for him because says this guy's going to play a big role for the Jets this year. Yeah, I again, like I said, I mean, that's what Hard Knocks is meant to do is meant for the viewers to root for these guys. 
but they're doing a really great job this season. We're only two episodes in, and I'm like, yeah, let's go Jets. Yeah, for sure. And then we get the joint practice. I think it's probably one of the big like uh, set pieces of the episode where like they go to Carolina for supposed to have two joint practices with at the Panthers. One gets rained out. The first one though is like the defense plays great. The offense is a disaster here. And while I play this for the audio listeners here, the rant that Robert Sala has in, in a meeting afterwards about the offense's poor play, particularly the line here. I'm gonna go to that one here. I have the audio pulled. It's from last night's Hard Knocks. I'll give a shout out to. Boy Green, 25, Paul Esden, friend of the podcast on Twitter, he pulled this clip up there. So this is Robert Sala's rant about the uh, offensive line. So last night, I went back in my office, I turned off my lights, and I would just watch the silent tape. All right, you guys know how important to me the silent tape is because the silent tape represents who the fuck we are. Defense, our style was all over this bitch yesterday. And it was awesome to see because that's our standard, that's who we are. All right? Offense. Guys... It was our first fucking opportunity to change the stink that's been in this organization for a very long time on the offensive side of the ball. You can have a Hall of Fame quarterback. You can have two $10 million plus receivers. You can have a reigning offensive rookie of the year. You can have all kinds of skill in the running back room. None of it fucking matters until the big boys up front change who the fuck we are. We as coaches, we as an organization can't want it more than you. And I'm watching that tape all night last night, trying to find something to show that we're fucking changing. And it didn't show, and it was our first op. And I'd love to say we got another practice, but you know what? It's like Sunday. You don't get Monday morning to go redo. It's getting your mind right to represent who the fuck you are every single fucking time you are on the fucking field. We'll fix footwork. We'll fix all that shit. But you can't fix shit until we know you're giving everything you got. Making it fucking hurt, straining and fighting for everything you fucking got. Because we will go as you go. We proved last year that we're a 7-10 and 10 football team with a really fucking good defense and a mediocre offense. That's, that's about what we proved. Flip that fucking shit. We don't get any more second chances. Okay, new turn for me, number one, is the silent tape, which I never heard before. And this is something I talked about a lot last night, but... Obviously, considering how tight-lipped the Jets are about like their access year, I'm surprised something like this actually got out of the show because this is probably the most real solid has been on the whole show in terms of like how frustrated he is with the offensive line for the like, because that's been a big theme in camp is how bad the line has been most of the way through. Yeah. Um I don't know. It's it's so what I like to see is you get goofy Sala for most of the show, and then you get this like real serious head coach this is what makes me like him as a head coach he's honest and serious when he needs to be which I think is great and he really knows I feel like how to amp up a room like even I was like shit I gotta be doing better you know I'm not even a Jets player and I don't know it was just it was it was great I don't know I can't think of the words specifically it's like he's just like we're really on the nose about what's going on like right like as a head coach you're not going to be like oh yeah no we're we're good but he's being honest and serious with these guys and I think that was a great way to phrase it and you know not going too far forward into the episode I feel like that speech really helped them in the the game that they played against Carolina 
Yeah, that's something you like to see, too, because obviously, as a team, they that's one of their biggest issues as a team right now is the offensive line play, specifically the two tackle spots because they've had a lot of injuries out there. And it's nice to see that, like, it's annoys him that they're not getting it right. And it's a Jet fan. Like, I feel very encouraged. Like, you know, like, he cares enough that he knows that he's emphasized early on, this needs to get fixed. Otherwise, it's not going anywhere. No, exactly. I mean, it's funny, too, because in this these two episodes, you, I forget, at least as a Jaguars fan, how good the Jets' defensive line is. It's crazy. It's like you guys have the probably the best defensive line, I feel like, in the league. Yeah, a point that uh, he bragged about with Frank Wright quite a bit. Yeah, and it, it you know it only takes you fifty percent of the way. Yeah, certainly true. And then in between this and the preseason game, we get the rookie show. Which last year we we got Aiden Hudson singing Billy Jean, which is an all, all time moment here. What yeah. the, what the hell were these rookies doing? Well, I, I I mean I'm not a teacher, so I don't know the name of the thing. It felt like one of those like weird quizzes you take. Yeah, like. I don't know. It was like so random and I don't know. This it's what you expect from young kids. You know what I mean? Like, I know that makes me sound old, but I mean, like, it's weird. I mean, they start off with the interpretive dance, basically, where they all are doing these weird like dances of where they are. And then they play the weird like it reminds me of that game on Instagram where you spin the thing. You got the filter pop up. You got people to guess what you have on your forehead. Like it was such yeah. a bad look. And like. Literally, they got booed off the stage, and CJ Bowles was like, you guys have to do it again next week and do it correctly. Yeah, no, I like that they threw paper at them. I thought yeah. that was hilarious. Like, guys were getting up to run out of their seats to throw paper at each other. I think it was – that part was hilarious. I, it was weird, but, I mean, they tried in their own way, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I've seen a lot of rookie show the Hard Knocks. That was definitely the weirdest. Oh, hands down, and the lamest. Yeah. Again, CJ Bowles was right. They have to do better. Yeah, especially if, you know, they want to be playing this season. They got to really give themselves to the team. Yep. And then we go forward. Most of the episode is the second preseason game is Carolina. They win 27 nothing here. Anything stick out for you from the preseason game stuff? I mean, not to, you know, I'm going to feel like I'm going to sound repetitive on this podcast, but, you know, McDonald's really killing it. Yeah, McDonald was great in that game. I did think. Obviously, sideline rider is always also very good, and Robert Sala's pure glee at Will McDonald just like making plays is fun. Yeah, I like that uh, Sala is just just so excited for these rookies to do like their first, you know, sack, their first touchdown. It's like it, it just makes him feel like he's just you know he's really rooting for these his teammates or you know not his teammates but his guys. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy because like there's so much stuff going on. It can't turn them. Their personalities they haven't even gotten to yet. The episodes are almost an hour long each week, which is also insane. Yeah, I'm really excited to meet all these other players. I mean, there are some guys who I'm shocked have not gotten much airtime yet. I mean, like the Michael Clemens, we saw a little bit of him early in the episode when like they had the fight at practice. He was in the middle of it here. Like that dude is intense, and like I cannot wait till they dive into him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed in the episode those fights. Like, they're yeah. really into it. They're they really want to do good. I I don't know. I it was really well edited. I guess. <laughs> oh, remember that one because I when I tease out, what I'm expecting to see next week. The the fight thing will definitely come back. Yeah, I mean, like I you know I didn't play football unfortunately because I really feel like I'd be a great football player. But <laughs> me being five two probably didn't do so hot for me. But um. I don't know. It's just, it's really, I don't know. I'm just really excited for the rest of the season. I am too here. So 
Let's run out here. Who is the MVP of the week for you? Who is the best? Again, again, to sound repetitive, Will McDonald. I mean, you really showed him as a person. Like he, he's very independent. He's very like true to himself and he gets the job done. I feel like he was a great MVP for this week. I'll give it to Carsala for the speech after the practice. I'll give it to him for his encouraging of Will McDonald. Like when he has his stuff. And I think you saw the speech work. They came out, they had a great practice. They played great in the preseason game. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you just need that wake up call to like, you know, you know, check yourself. You you gotta like stay true. You gotta do what you need to do and some more. That's like the one thing I like. I think in the first episode yeah. that they spoke about, they're like, okay, so you did this and then what? Yeah. Kind of do like, you know, you could do your job, but if you do ten percent more, you'll do better than everybody else. Yeah. Which is one of the themes that I use in my own life. So I will mention Jeff Ulbrich, defensive coordinator, who like always has fun listening to his speeches in the meetings of the defensive players. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did really enjoy all the I'm excited for more film references. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm looking forward to, I think, most of the season. Yeah, that's post that, that was the credit scene was them like talking <laughs> about old movies of Leslie Nielsen. That was funny too. Yeah, I mean they were talking about like uh Goldmember yeah. last week. I was like, I love this guy. He knows yeah. some good movies. Yeah, Nathaniel Hackett, like who who famously, they, they touched us a little bit last week when he was talking for the controversy with Sean Payton, he's throwing on the bus for the Broncos doing poorly last year. So that sounds like yeah. spicy game week five when they play the Broncos in Denver. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see. I'll even tune in to that Jets game. Yeah, for sure here. And we'll give a little tease ahead to what's coming up next week on this show, I think, because there's lots they haven't covered yet here. Number one, I think, now that Dalvin Cook is signed, I think we're going to get Dalvin Cook next week on the show because... Yeah, they when he came to meet them at practice, they had the cameras there. The hard ass crew was there. They followed Cook around. They included the episode. Now that he's here, they're gonna get all that stuff next week. It's gonna be an exciting one. I also think you talked about the fights earlier. There was they had a, jo- a joint practice in Tampa Bay t- today on day of recording. Apparently, they had like five or six fights break out during that practice. So you're gonna definitely get more fights next week. Well, I'm excited for that then. Yeah, and the O-line issues are going to come back because the O-line had a very bad day in that practice. Well, they, they said at one point like, Rodgers got, like, sacked six times in, like, a 10-play sequence. Oh, man. I love that he argued every time he got sacked, too. Yeah, so. That's Past a, week. Yep, so that's what was got. I think we're, we're, I think we're getting those things for sure next week in the, in the show. I think we might get some more of these characters, and whatever random thing Rodgers does next week is going to be fun. They're going to put it in the show. Yeah, well, I'll definitely be sticking around for the rest of this season. Yeah. This is also a great image rehab for Rodgers. He's had a rough PR run the last, like, year and a half. This is definitely doing good to boost his image. Oh, 100%. I mean, they've only shown him in such a nice light. So, hopefully, uh, you know, the media's been wrong about good old Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, this is, like, brings us back to, like, Jeopardy, level Aaron Rodgers. He was hosting and, like, having so much fun there. Oh, Jeopardy, Aaron Rodgers. What a classic. Yeah. What a classic here. And uh, Sam, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. If you want to follow you on social media, how can I do that? Well, you can find me at S-D-E-R-O-S-X on Twitter, SDeRosa175 on Instagram. Honestly, just Google Sam DeRosa. I say this every time. Just Google me. You'll probably find me somewhere. All right, Sam. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. All right. That will do it for this week's show. I thank my guest, Bill Bender, for coming on to preview the college football season, all the crazy we have, the realignment. Like Sandra Rose, you just heard breaking down the Hard Knocks episode two with me here. We're going to have more Hard Knocks coverage next week. So fun season so far as we cover the Jet edition of Hard Knocks round two. Remember, stuff like this podcast, clearly look at how did we get here at the Yankees? How did we get to the point where the Yankees are now entering uh, Wednesday night's game as the Braves at 500 in a real 
likely to not only miss the playoffs, potentially have their streak of 30 consecutive seasons above 500 come to an end. Check out the blog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. Check out the Sky Guys podcast. We are going to be revving up for Ahsoka here. Rebels 101 is in the feed over there now. The Ahsoka preview podcast, that's out on that feed on day recording here on, on the actually Thursday. So day that you're listening to this, the Ahsoka preview is out in Sky Guys coming to us later in the week on Justin the Suffering. So if you want it sooner, subscribe. Same podcast platform into the top of the podcast. So follow me on social media, mphilips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's going to do it here for this week's podcast. Coming up next week, we're going to get you ready for your fantasy football draft. We're going to have some fantasy football coverage here. Hard Knocks Week 3 and more. So we have a better week than Diamondbacks fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.